Hello, this is Pastor Luke. We hope you enjoy this week's sermon. Our mission is to grow disciples and multiply churches who will glorify God and transform communities.
Good morning. We're so glad you're here this morning at Living Hope. Uh, Hebrews 10 says, Let us come near to God with a sincere heart and a sure faith, because we have been made free from a guilty conscience, and our bodies have been washed with pure water. Let us hold firmly to the hope that we have confessed, because we can trust God to do what he promised. And let us think about each other and help each other to show love and do good deeds. And so just want to encourage you this morning that we come to a throne of grace. We come to Jesus and uh, come and worship him together. Just stand and greet each other, and then we'll start with singing.
Good morning, church. Good to see you all this morning. Just a few quick announcements, and then we'll have our prayer time. Uh, first of all, uh, care team, team leaders, uh, typically we would meet this Monday. I have some uh, prior arrangements, and so uh, we won't have team leaders, and, and uh, Carla and I talked, we won't do care team either. So uh, those are canceled, and, and I'll send out an email as well, too, but just wanted to let you know about that. The Wednesday night live meal schedule is full. Thank you very much for all of those uh, who are helping with that. I'm sure if you still wanted to get in and help out in the kitchen, no one's going to complain about that. So, um, and a couple prayer requests. We want to continue to pray for Kenton and Kedron Miller. I've not heard any updates on that. Um, and also uh, have a prayer request. Uh, Earl and Thiessen's son-in-law, Jerry Croker, uh, had a double knee replacement. And so and they switched them both at the same time. And so we want to be praying for just a good recovery there. So let's have a word of prayer, and then we will carry on. So, Heavenly Father, we thank you for another good day, another day of your grace and of your mercy. Lord, we thank you just for your incredible love for us, that while we were still enemies, you pursued us, and that you love us, and that while we were far from you, you pursued us. And so we are so very thankful for that. God, thank you for just how relentless you are in pursuing after us. We are grateful for that, Jesus, and we love you for it. And may we be faithful in sharing that message with others as well, too. Lord, this morning, as we continue to uh, engage in worship, that it would be heartfelt and honoring and glorifying to you, uh, that we would honor you with our lives and not just our lips. And as we continue to explore scripture, that you would speak to each one of us here, Lord, that we would be attentive to your Holy Spirit and how today's scripture applies to each one of us in a unique way. We worship you and we love you. In your name, amen.
Thank you, worship team. So we are starting up a sermon series on the Minor Prophets. Uh, if you weren't here last week, uh, the Minor Prophets are 12 short books. They're at the end of the Old Testament, and they're pretty much called the Minor Prophets because they wrote short books. Uh, and then there's five uh, books that are categorized as Major Prophets, and they're called Major Prophets because they wrote long books. Uh, it's not too, not too complicated. Um, it is interesting, the, um, between the major prophets and the minor prophets, they make up over 25% of scripture. And so when you first kind of jump in and start reading them, it, it, it may seem a little bit boring. But we have to assume that, you know, if God is willing to dedicate 25% or more of scripture to, to these major prophets and minor prophets, there has got to be something in there that continues to remain relevant for today. And so last week, we just did kind of a, a sort of the 30,000-foot flyover and gave almost like a, a just a paragraph or a two-to-four-sentence description of each of the, the minor prophets, and it was a lot of information. And it wasn't so much just because I wanted you to remember all of those things and there'd be a quiz on it, but rather just to see um, how it is still connected, uh, that there was um, strategy and purpose in, in how it was all arranged, but also just the continued relevance of these books in, in today's life. Um, now, I mean, you might need a, a devotional or a little bit of help to, to kind of extract some of that, but um, there continues to be um, profoundly relevant themes, uh, specifically in the Minor Prophets, for us today. And, uh, and in preparation for this, I, I felt like we uh, should start off in the book of Amos. And uh, has, as I have studied more about Amos, it's been amazing to me, just how much it is relevant and mirrors a lot of what we're, of just our, our life today. Um, you can go ahead and turn to Amos if you brought a Bible or if you, if you like to write in your Bible. I like to write in my Bible because I forget most things, and so this helps me remember them. So um, some people don't like to write in your Bible, that's fine, but for us dumb people, I encourage you to write in your Bible. Um, and also, it's, it's Amos, it's a small book kind of in the middle of nowhere, and so uh, there's no shame in using the concordance, okay? Like, that, that's, that's fine. It's okay. Um, so, uh, while you are uh, uh, looking that up, a little bit of background on Amos. So last week, we, we looked at the minor prophets in general, and today, today we'll, we'll get into Amos. Um, so, just as a reminder, right, we have the nation of Israel. They had uh, gone through a, a, a split, or they divided up into two countries— Ten tribes to the north, they kept the name Israel. Uh, two tribes split off in the south, 
and they adopted the name Judah. And those, that's going to be kind of relevant as we continue to, to go through this. Um, Amos lived on the border. Um, he lived down, uh, he did live in Judah though. He identifies himself as a shepherd and a fig tree farmer. Uh, and actually at one point in Amos, he, he's pretty clear to articulate to say he's not a sort of a professional prophet. He didn't go any, to any of the prophet schools because I guess they had prophet schools back then. And um, so he said, I, I didn't go to those, but yet he still speaks with authority. And so his proclamations are primarily against Israel, right? I mean, he's living in Judah, technically this other country. His proclamations are against Israel. Uh, so he really has a front row seat to, to what all is, is happening in the country. And uh, God definitely gives him a message. Amos is probably a bit fed up. Uh, with the whole thing. And so uh, Amos makes the trek. He leaves his hometown and, and he heads up to, uh, to the town called Bethel. And that's where a lot of stuff happens. Um, a little, again, a, a little bit of kind of history on, on the town Bethel and Israel and what was going on. So when, those, when, when the two countries split, right? When they, you know, the ten northern tribes and the southern two tribes, okay? The Israelites had been instructed that they were to go to, to Jerusalem to do their worship. That was where the temple was. Well, when they split, Jerusalem is in the southern two countries, not in, so Israel doesn't have anything. And so the king of Israel, a guy by the name of Jeroboam I, he didn't want all the people traveling down to the other country, to Jerusalem. So what he did is he set up two temples in Israel, uh, one in Bethel and one in Dan, and he built or had made golden calves that he set up as false gods in both locations. And then he told the people, you have gone up to Jerusalem long enough. Behold, your gods, O Israel, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. So why? Because I don't know if you remember, but, you know, when the Israelites were going through the desert and Aaron did his thing and he goofed and he built a golden calf as well, too. Why the kind of the cow theme keeps coming up, I'm not sure, but that's, that, that's what's going on. And so Jeroboam built these two temples with these two golden calves, and he told all of his people, go worship the golden calves because they're the ones who brought you up out of Egypt. So there's probably about three sermons in that, but we don't have time for that. Um, the other thing that he did is that there was one tribe, the, uh, the Levites, and they were supposed to serve as the priests, but Jeroboam was very intentional to not make them his priests, just kind of whoever. He appointed a lot of other people, and then they were to, to do the priest, right? So 150 years before Amos, Jeroboam I, he sets up false gods in two locations, and then he appoints a bunch of unqualified people to run things at the temple. So that's the background. Fast forward 150 years later. Um, the king at the time, um, Jeroboam II, um, there were other kings in between, but whatever. Jeroboam II, he's now the king. Very successful military leader. Uh, expanded the, the territory of Israel through military conquest. Um, for Israel, he's accumulated wealth and riches. He's accumulated good economy. And he's accumulated peace. Because, like, he won all the battles, right? He's in charge. So, so there's, there's peace in the land. He rules for 41 years. And according to the prophets, he's one of the worst kings. Uh, he is encouraging people to, to continue to, to go to these, um, uh, to these other kind of false gods. By now, I don't know if it was him or, or just the people of Israel, they have also added false gods of sex, of war, of weather. 
because the country is wealthy and at a time of peace, it leads to a season of spiritual apathy. I don't know if that sounds familiar, but that was a thing. Um, and so he just, he continues to, to lead his country uh, to the, the, these false gods. And as a result of that, it results in all of these social injustices that, that we will explore later on. Amos treks up to the town of Bethel. Uh, that's where one of these uh, golden calf temples are. Um, probably as well, you know, sometimes a, a king would have like a personal priest or like a personal pastor or, you know, like there's one church or cathedral that's like the capital church chapel that kind of thing probably what what we're dealing with here right so he goes up to bethel this is probably where jeroboam worships and he has his personal priest and 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 lots of people are showing up and giving tithes and then and then leading awful lives uh you know monday to saturday so that that's probably where um what's going on there in chapters one and two amos is going to proclaim judgment um, if you like to write in your Bibles, uh, here would be one place that, that you do it. And he does an interesting thing in the beginning of Amos. You'll see in the beginning of Amos, there's about, I think it's six or seven different countries. Um, for instance, in verse 3, he says, For three transgressions of Damascus, and for four, I will not revoke the punishment. And he goes through and he names six different countries, and he always uses that opening and that was kind of a way back then of saying, I'm done. I've had enough. Um, I've waited long enough. Like, we're, my patience is exhausted. Um, like, I mean, parents, you can resonate with me here, right? Like, it's just, I'm fed up, and it's spankings for everybody, okay? Like, that's kind of the biblical version of, of what is happening here. Um, he, he proclaims these judgments against all these countries, uh, including Judah, including his own home country. As he was going through this list, Israel would have been, like, they would have loved this, okay? So, um, kind of quasi, you know, farmer guy from the south suddenly shows up, interrupts kind of their, their, their group church meeting, and starts to proclaim judgment on all the enemies of Israel. And they're pretty fierce ones, right? And, and so this would have had them really, really happy. What's interesting, though, is that if you look at these countries on a map, he's drawing circles. He starts with the furthest country, and then he literally just draws circles inwards closer and closer and closer to Israel until literally you have Israel kind of like almost right in the bullseye. And so he's going to name all these countries and punishments, and I'm sure everyone was cheering and that kind of thing. And then finally, it's all circled up around Israel, and then he unleashes on Israel um, pretty, pretty harshly. I mean, he, he gives a proclamation that is at least three times as long against Israel as any of these other countries. Um, a little bit of, so through these countries. Uh, verse 3, the first one that gets mentioned is Damascus. That's the capital of Syria. He says, because they have threshed Gilead with a threshing sledges of iron so um back then to extract wheat from grain you had you, you had to like break it apart and one of the ways to do that when they had a lot of of grain to thresh is that they would have wooden sleds with iron spikes or studs in the bottom of it and they would drag that over the grain to break it apart now i mean so either this is literal in which they took 
captives of war and dragged sledges over them as a way to torture them and kill them. Probably what's more likely, though, is that this is just figurative to say, you know, you guys brutalized prisoners of war in such an awful way, and then there's a judgment against them. The next country that gets mentioned um, is Gaza. So this is a Philistine city uh, in verse uh, in chapter 1, 6. They carried into exile a whole people to deliver them up to Edom. The, the Philistines had captured and then sold as slaves entire communities of people, men, women, children. Uh, and then they sold them to another country, Edom. We'll get to them in just a minute. Uh, they were kind of ongoing enemies of Israel. But so basically what we have here is slave trade. Forced enslavement, men, women, and children, hauled to another country, sold as slaves. That's, that's part of our history as America, right? I mean, we fully engaged uh, in, in the slave trade in, in our past. Um, the city of Tyre, uh, same thing. Um, so this is a, a Phoenician city. It's very wealthy. It's very uh, influential. One of the things, though, that's particularly difficult about this is that they had made some kind of agreement with Israel that this wouldn't happen, and then they broke it. And so it, there's this wording that they did not remember the covenant of brotherhood. So here, not only are they engaging slave trade, but actually what they're doing is that they basically betrayed friends and neighbors that they had made a covenant with. And then once again, they hauled away entire people groups, entire cities, villages, men, women, children, to a foreign country and sold them as slaves as well too. Um, Edom, uh, verse 11, because he pursued his brother with the sword, cast off all pity, his anger tore perpetually. He kept his wrath forever. Okay, uh, there are two brothers, Jacob and Esau. You probably remember them. They hated each other, a bit of a dysfunctional family. Descendants of Jacob become the Israelites. Descendants of Esau become the Edomites. And pretty much the descendants hate each other just as much as the brothers. And we don't know exactly which event this, this was, um, but at, at some point, um, they, they hunted Israel um, and, they, and, and possibly with, with another nation. Um, and it was brutal. I mean, cast off pity, anger tore perpetually, kept wrath forever. Uh, it's strong language, right? And, I mean, Israel was no saint either. I mean, these two are always going at it back and forth, kind of killing and conquering each other. So, so Israel's no saint. But, but yeah, so the, the, Edom, though, is the focus here. Amon, so that's the Ammonites, uh, uh, descendants of Lot. Some of you may remember the story of Abraham and Lot and that kind of whole thing. So this is one of Lot's sons, and that's kind of a weird story, too. Um, uh, the Ammonites, because they have ripped open pregnant women in Gilead that they might enlarge their border. Some kind of border war is going on. I mean, even today, this, there are countries that are fighting o- over borders. And those places uh, where those countries are, are fighting can be brutal places to live. There was, uh, I just saw an article, someone had made a um, kind of a, a movie. I mean, it was fiction, but not really fiction. Uh, based on the mountains of Kashmir between India and Pakistan, China has some claim on that area as well too. And and forget the title of it. It was either I think it was it was either where there are no men or where there are no fathers, because they had all been killed and buried in mass graves. And so that's that's the region of Kashmir that is just continually being fought over for various reasons between these different countries. I mean, it's a border war. 
And so Gilead, ruthless people, um, and they had killed not just the men, but, but the women and, and, the, and the pregnant women. I mean, it, it's, it's awful. Moabites, these are the other descendants of Lot. Uh, chapter 2, verse 1. Because he burned to lime the bones of the king of Edom. I, yeah, I don't get it either. Um, and I couldn't find anything in the commentaries. They were like, uh, uh. Um, a desecration of the dead. Apparently this is a bad thing. I, we don't know. But maybe it's figurative. I don't know. But it's just kind of a weird thing. And there you have it. I don't know something about the Bible. So um, crimes against Edom and that kind of thing. And again, uh, devout enemies of the Jews. Judah. So this is Amos's home country. Because they have rejected the law of the Lord, they have not kept his statutes. Their lies have led them astray, and those after which their fathers walked. Judah and Israel did not get along at this point, and so any pronouncement against Judah would have made Israel uh, pretty happy. Uh, and for Judah, they've abandoned God. It's a little bit different. It's Instead of crimes against humanity, it's uh, a broken relationship with God. Um, but there will still be punishment regardless. And so you, we just see the circle getting tighter and tighter um, and a lot of really horrible things. Before we go on, though, just a couple observations on, on these countries because this is relevant as well, too. These are not really nations that are known for following God, loving God, believing in God. Like, they're not... I mean, for the most part, these are not kind of God-honoring countries. But they are still being judged and they are still being held accountable against the law of the Lord. Right? It doesn't matter if you believe in Jesus or not. That's still to whom we are accountable and his standards by which we are accountable. Um, these nations did not acknowledge or love God, but he still judges them by his standards. Um, secondly, it just a reminder that God sees and, and God will judge. Sometimes we look at the world and we say, well, that's really unfair. And maybe we're referencing an obnoxious neighbor and maybe we're referencing some uh, national leader that we just really, really don't like or who has done atrocities. And sometimes we say, like, how can they get away with that? Well, the truth is they're not. God sees and God will judge. So there's just a, a bit of comfort in that. Amos draws the circle tighter and tighter till he hits Israel. Uh, he unleashes an accusation three times longer uh, against Israel. I'm not going to, to read all of it, um, but to just kind of break it down, there, there's kind of three main categories uh, that, that you, could, you could probably break this, this um, judgment into. So this is this, the second part of, of chapter 2. Uh, verse 6, for three transgressions of Israel and for four, I will not revoke the punishment. And then he goes through and, and he lists some of the stuff. One of the first ones um, that we see and that is pretty prominent here is, uh, is really just injustice regarding the poor. And, and what it appears to be happening based on going on is that supported by corrupt judges, the, the wealthy... And, and these judges basically just sold their ruling to the highest bidder. But the wealthy would find ways to force the poor into debt slavery. And then once they were in debt slavery, like there would not be any good legal representation 
to help them get out, and then they were just stuck. And, and the analogy is just that they were trampled like the dust of the earth. Now, in our country today, um, on a positive note, we have a lot of discussion on how to lift people out of poverty, right? Democrats have their strategy. Republicans have their strategy. They argue about it a lot. But, but, but I, I will say this. It is still an argument on how to lift people out of poverty. That is the opposite of what's happening here, right? Because no one's running on a platform of, what are ways that we can really crush the poor and keep them there a really, really long time, right? Like, that, that's not anyone's formal, you know, sort of uh, political point. The, the wealthy of Israel are having very intentional conversations about how to get people indebted to them, how to steal more money from them, how to force them into low and helpless this, situations. Now, I would say, though, I mean, we do have to admit that a lot of that has happened in the U.S., continues to happen. I mean, the, the motive is often, how do we make a dollar regardless of what it does to the recipient? White Clay, Nebraska. John's doing some neat work there, started up a, a neat nonprofit with, with some of the stuff that's happening there. In 2010, so this is a while ago, in 2010... Four liquor stores sold an estimated 4.9 million cans of beer, primarily to the Native Americans just across the, the border in Pine Ridge Indian Reservation. That averages out to 13,000 cans a day. Like, the numbers are so ridiculous, I struggle with it, right? Like, I'm like, come on, really? 13,000 cans a day. Like, can you even pull that off? Those are the numbers that are reported. Four, four to five million cans in a year for liquor stores. Um, recently, I've listened to a few podcasts um, called Serial. Uh, it's put out by This American Life. A few reporters spent an entire year hanging out in the Cincinnati uh, legal zone i'll call it a zone because there's like three dozen courtrooms and they just spent a year just looking for stories and reporting on stories um one of them it was it was fascinating and one of the things that that, that i was surprised by and, and i think even perhaps a bit disturbed by was really almost the the legal culture in that um if 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 your lawyer actually pushed something all the way to trial they were considered a bit of an obstructionist. And that really wasn't something that you wanted affecting kind of your reputation as a lawyer. For them, it was all about cutting a deal. So whether or not you're guilty or innocent, regardless, um, let's just cut a deal, maybe bump this down to a misdemeanor, settle it outside the courtroom, and just process as many cases as possible. And so... Yes, it, it wasn't your fault, and, and yes, this will be on your record for the rest of your life, but, we're, you know, hey, we'll just bump it down to a misdemeanor, so who cares? And you'll still have to pay a lot of money in court fees and make a couple dozen visits to the courthouse, but I know, it wasn't your fault, but hey, it's just demeanor, let's cut a deal, and not bother people by taking this all the way to trial. Second thing that gets um, mentioned in here, uh, there's actually really only one line on it. 
um, but there's a, a sexual sin is mentioned uh, in verse, uh, well, whatever, you can find it. Um, you'll know it when you read it. Um, but, but when you read it, you're like, ugh, things must have been pretty bad if, if we got that going on. Um, 2006, so, so again, this is a pretty old stat. 2006, the, um, um, the adult entertainment business, that's all I'm going to say, um, made an estimated $13.3 billion dollars. Meaning they made more than um, the NFL. Uh, they made more than the, the NBA. Uh, and they made more than, than the Major League Baseball Association combined. Combined, right? Like back in the day, they used to say that baseball was the national pastime of America. No, we have moved on, people. Um, apparently, also, according to, to a 2010 stat... Um, and, and I haven't checked the spreadsheets. Okay, I got it off the internet, so you know how the internet can be. But anyways, uh, but a- according to a 2010 stat, that's actually all- also more than the top tech companies combined. So in 2010, that also would have been more than Microsoft, Google, Amazon, eBay, Yahoo, Apple, and Netflix combined. Third kind of theme that we see here. Uh, is just open idolatry. Um, wealthy men, um, or, or maybe women too, so they would take a, a debtor's um, garment or like his cloak as a pledge. So one of the things that would happen would be like, okay, I'll loan you money, but I need a pledge. I mean, we do that today, right? Like you sign something with the bank that they can have the car or the boat or the second house, right, if you don't pay the loan. And, um, and so, but then it, it was the cloak, but you were, the, the law required that you return it at night because that's basically their, their blanket or their sleeping bag against a cold night. But what they would do is they would not return it, they would keep it, and then they would get drunk and pass out in front of their favorite altar and fall asleep on basically on all these stolen garments. So that was, that was kind of the practice. And so just basic, I mean, we talked about kind of the, the different idols, but just basic um, open idolatry. This year at the at the Golden Globes Award, uh, right? So different actors and actresses give each other awards for stuff. I don't know. I didn't watch it, but people get awards for stuff. And one actress made headlines. Uh, she received her award um, without actually using the word abortion, though. She did express her thanks for living in a country where she had the right to choose as a woman, and and, and basically said she would not have been able to earn this award if previously she had not had the right to, to choose and, and to get an abortion. Um, and so she w- thanked God for her right to choose and admonished that we continue to, to provide that right. And, at, and, f- and I, and I kind of just sort of disregarded it or, or ignored it. Or it was, let me say this. So she gave that speech, right? Um, Vogue referenced it as reproductive justice that she was advocating for. Um, Slate said it was the Golden Globe's most powerful moment. The Guardian wrote that her galvanized speech about women's rights was the finest of the night. And the New Yorker said, Michelle Williams for president, there was no more eloquent plea than that of Michelle Williams. And, 
and a Christian commentator, and, and like people were cheering, and like women in the audience had tears because it was so powerful, and they were just so pumped about this speech. And one Christian commentator made the comment, she's, or reflected, and wrote, she literally held a golden idol while she claimed she had to kill her children to earn it. And at first I thought, oh, come on, like that's a bit strong. And I was like, uh, or not. Like, I mean, I don't, like, is that a spiritual truth? I mean, whether or not that was actually an idol, like that's a heart issue, so we, we really can't speak into that. Like, I don't, I mean, that's... Um, but, if, but, if, but if people are getting abortions to attain things like that, that, that feels like it might be pretty close to, to, an, to idol level. Um, our approach on, on abortion is, is twofold. Um, first is just incredible love and grace. We believe that, that abortion hurts women deeply. Um, it's very possible that we have people here um, who, who have gone through that or had one. It's very possible that we know people personally. And so we always want to speak with love and grace and tenderness. Right? That, that's always the first, first approach, love and grace and tenderness. But second, we do believe that abortion kills an innocent child. And so we want to stand against it, do our part, um, and look for good alternatives, support local alternatives um, that are available. In 2017, in the U.S., 862,000 abortions. Uh, also in 2017, 18% of pregnancies, so almost one in five, uh, were terminated. Amos speaks against uh, injustice regarding the poor, uh, sexual sins, open idolatry, and I think you can make a pretty convincing argument that for sins less than what our country commits, God planned to destroy and wipe out Israel. I I think you could argue that, that if you look at this list that Amos gives, and you look at a lot of what what's, is happening in our society, that for sins less than what we commit, God planned to wipe out Israel. And, and if you take some of the, the numbers literally, I mean 90% were either killed or, or hauled away uh, into captivity. And so, and so what do you do with that? <laughs> um. I have written and rewritten and deleted and rewritten uh, the conclusion and the application on this just more times than than I care to admit. Um, Part of it is difficult because part of it feels like it's national level stuff. So what, you know, what can our small church in Nebraska do with national level sins? Um... And yet, I mean, there, there is some stuff. And there is, I do believe that, that there are things that, that we can engage in. Um, there, there are lots of doing uh, things that, that, that we can approach. But I, I realize, though, is that if this were, like, if we were dealing more on an individual level, really the first step into this would be repentance. And so, actually, for this, for an application point for this point, for, for, for this week, I would actually just encourage all of us to spend time in repentance 
on behalf of ourselves, on behalf of our community, and, and even on behalf of our, our nation. Um, sometimes that feels ridiculous because it's like, well, but I didn't do those things, so why should I have to repent of those things, right? And there's fair claim on that. Um, you know, there, so someday we're, we're going to have to stand before God and give an account of, of what we did on earth, right? And, and it appears that, that there's actually two judgments. One is the are you saved, are you not saved judgment. And the other one is almost kind of like more like an, an award ceremony, but just kind of, yeah, what, what did you do with the, the gifts and the things that I entrusted to your care uh, while you were on earth? And, and, and this is just kind of, I can't prove this, but some of the wording makes me think that while the bulk of that will be an individual account or giving, that to some extent that there will also be kind of corporate accounts as well too, meaning that, you know, part of that is going to be, all right, Living Hope Church, what did you guys do with the opportunities and, 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 and the things that I gave you kind of corporately? And so each of us kind of has to give a small answering for us as a church for what we did and didn't do, right? Like there's, you know, that'll be part of it as well too. And, and okay, Nebraska, and okay, you know, United States of America, what did you do with the opportunities and the gifts that I entrusted into your care? And so there's kind of a, a small part. I can't, I can't prove it, but some of the wording just suggests that, that to me. And so I do think that there can be value um, in confessing and repenting for the sins of our people, even though they may not be sins that we personally committed. Hope that made sense. Um, and so, you know, um, I had nothing to do with white clay. But I can still do some prayers of just confession and repentance and say, Lord, forgive us, just as a state uh, and as North Americans and for whatever, for, for contributing, you know, to, to just an unhealthy situation. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves, pray, seek my face, turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven. I will forgive their sin and heal their land. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins, purify us from all unrighteousness. Repent then, turn to God, so that your sins may be wiped out, that times of refreshing may come from the Lord. Whoever conceals their sins does not prosper, but the one who confesses and renounces them finds mercy. For the Lord our God is gracious and compassionate. He will not turn his face from you if you return to him. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promises, as some have understood slowness. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but wanting everyone to come to repentance. From that time on, Jesus began to uh, preach, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. Come near to God, and he will come near to you. Wash your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. Those whom I love, I rebuke in discipline, so be earnest and repent. Rend your heart and not your garments. Return to the Lord your God. He is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger, abounding in love. I tell you that in the same way there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents 
than over 99 righteous persons who do not need to. For I take no pleasure in the death of anyone, declares the sovereign Lord. Repent and live. In the past, God overlooked such ignorance, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent. Peter replied, repent and be baptized for every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Repent at my rebuke, then I will pour out my thoughts to you. I will make known to you my teaching. I tell you no, but unless you repent, you too will all perish. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, um, we come to you this morning with a broken and humble spirit to repent. Uh, Lord, it may be that there's some personal repentance that needs to happen for us individually, and if so, we want to engage in that. But Lord, we're, we're believing that, that there is also value in, and even a call to to repent for things, even though we may not have directly been a part of them, but perhaps we were part of a community or a city or a nation that, that engaged in things that did not honor you, that, that, that were injustice, that were open idolatry. And so, Lord, we just, we repent. On behalf of our people, whoever that is, we repent on behalf of our people. Lord, we ask for your mercy and your grace. Lord, we ask for more time. More time to, uh, to share the message and, and, and help call others out of, out of a life of, of sin or misdirection or pain that, that they may find you and know you. We ask for more time, Lord. Lord, we know that um, us and, and our people have grieved you in a lot of different ways. And we're sorry. And we want to turn from that. And if we need to, to do things to help make things right, then we want to be obedient to that. Lord, for all of those here this morning, I pray that that first of all, that, that you would break our hearts for the things that break yours. That we, that we would even know where to begin in the repenting process. And then, Lord, I, I pray for all of us here that just throughout this week, you would remind us and, the, and you would just keep bringing that up. Places where where we need to repent. And Lord, we want to act as well too and we want to we want to do things and we want to engage in stuff and 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 Lord, we want to be a part of that. But but for now, just for this week, we repent. We say we're sorry. We want to turn from these things, help others turn from them. And we say we love you, Jesus.
in your name. Amen. Let's respond together. Let's stand together. Make this our prayer. Are you hurting and broken within? Overwhelmed by the weight of your sin? Jesus is calling. Have you come to the end of yourself? Do you thirst for a drink from the well? Jesus is calling, Lord is calling. Oh, come to the
come to you to an altar of grace, an altar of hope, altar of forgiveness. Lord, give us hearts that repent, hearts that are soft to experience and encounter the real life. You are dismissed. Have a wonderful day. Oh, come to.